The Valley Hub Stories podcast acknowledged the traditional custodians of the land on which this episode has been recorded, Gombangia Country. We acknowledge and appreciate their continuing connection to and care of country throughout time. Welcome to the third episode of the Valley Hub Stories podcast. Today, we bring you two local powerhouse women working with other women in the fertility and perinatal health space. Our first guest, Tamara Urquhart, is a local physiotherapist and owner of Solitude Health Clinic. Tamara has very graciously offered her time during a much-deserved holiday to talk about her work in the perinatal space. And joining her today in the episode is Hannah from The Body Blueprint. Hannah is a fertility and menstrual health coach, working with women around managing their menstrual cycles and fertility barriers. I found recording this episode incredibly interesting and I feel there's something in there for not only women, but also their partners and support networks alike. Let's have a listen. Thanks for joining me, Tamara. Hi, thanks for having me, Penny. Can you tell me a little about you? Sure. So I'm Tamara. I'm a physiotherapist at Solitude Health in Maxville and Nambucca. I grew up in the Nambucca Valley, um, moved away for study and work for about 10 years. I've been back with Solitude Health now for about 12 years, working in the women's health realm for about eight years and involved with Pilates for about 20 years. Also, I'm a mother of two beautiful girls. They're six and eight. My husband, Matt, he works alongside in the business with me. And I'm a keen runner and ocean and mountain lover as well. Can you tell me a little more about your work with women in the perinatal space through solitude? Sure. So like I said, I've been doing the women's health side of work for probably about eight years now. And a big scope of that is pre and postnatal. So probably a, a lot of the things I see prenatally that, that women present with are pain presentations, which include like pelvic girdle pain, sciatica, sacroiliac joint pain, general just lower back pain as well. They're sort of the main pain factors that women are presenting with. And then the other thing that I've probably been getting more of recently, women coming in when they're pregnant, is just for advice of what they can do when they're pregnant. There's a lot of conflicting information out there. So, yeah, that's been probably more recently. I'm getting more women coming in and asking, can I do this? What should I be doing? What shouldn't I be doing? And just helping setting them up with a little bit of a program on what they can continue with through pregnancy and then what they should be looking at starting in the early stages post-pregnancy. How about postnatally? So postnatally, the main things I see... Uh, sort of pelvic floor concerns, so incontinence, just generalised weakness, and then abdominal separation, so women feeling quite weak through the tummy or feeling like those muscles just aren't coming back together. There can still be some of that pelvic girdle pain and lower back pain happening post-pregnancy, the sacral, so your tailbone pain as well, post-pregnancy. So they're sort of the things that that that, pre- that present to me that come in the door. I do like to do postnatal checks with women and I'll do them anywhere between three and six weeks postnatally. Three weeks I do find a little bit early. They're, that's more for women who have a concern. So if something's 
bothering them and they really want to get that checked early, then they're coming in at about the, the three-week mark. Most women I would tell to wait till about that five to six-week mark and then come and see me then. And in that postnatal check, I run over things like the abdominal muscles. So it's a rectus diastasis when those abdominal muscles separate. So I check that. I check the width of that, so how far apart that's sitting. Also checking the depth of that. So if I can feel any of the fascia between it is, is still holding or if it's completely gone, that gives me a bit of an idea of what, what that woman needs to do. So does she need to work with some compression garments? What exercises should she start doing? Or, or does she need further intervention for that? Like is it, is it quite a bad separation that might need further intervention down the track? So we, we check that initially. We also check the pelvic floor. So pelvic floor examinations postnatally, it is better to have an internal examination. So that involves checking the scar. So if anyone's had an episiotomy, they've had some tearing, check that that scar's healing, check the scar sensitivity. And then I can check what those pelvic floor muscles are doing as well. So are those muscles switching on? How strong they are? Are they able to hold? And that all helps with, with then gauging what that woman can do in terms of returning to exercise. So it's good to get a baseline of where those abdominal muscles are, where those pelvic floor muscles are, before you're progressing to things like running and jumping and, and impact activities, because you want to really have that strong core, that strong pelvic floor before going into those higher impact activities. Are you finding that most women are self-identifying that there's an issue or is it primarily through referrals from their, their medical doctor? It's probably a real mix at the moment. Unfortunately, not all doctors refer for postnatal checks or prenatal checks even. Like some a lot of countries overseas, they have physiotherapy checks postnatally just as part of routine care so every woman will check in with a physiotherapist postnatally in Australia we're quite a long way behind that I used to be pre-COVID I used to be involved with the antenatal care through Maxwell Hospital so they used to run prenatal groups and I used to do a session there covering those topics of exercise during pregnancy looking after your abdominal muscles pelvic floor muscles all those sorts of things but COVID stopped those group sessions and it never really established. So I think I find I'm getting some of the women that are feeling they're not getting that information in their antenatal care. They're more self-referring though. So the women that come for the information while they're pregnant, I feel they're coming off their own back because they feel they've got a little bit of a hole in their knowledge, a gap in their knowledge. There's a lot of information out there on the internet, but it can be quite conflicting. So those ones are self-referred. The ones postnatally, definitely the ones that have some identified problems, they're coming on GP referral or midwife referral or just themselves looking for help. And then I do get the ones that are already pretty educated on their, on their body and what they need to do to return to sport, the ones that are keen to get back to that high-level sport and gym, and they're sort of self-referred as well. So there's definitely a big mix at the moment mm. yeah and there's not a streamline pattern in our healthcare system really at this stage that involves physiotherapy in pre or postnatal care so knowing that there's potentially a gap there in that process is there anything that you could recommend 
women could do before falling pregnant to kind of ensure that pre and postnatal pelvic floor health and abdominal health and, and general health. Yeah, definitely. I think it's really, it is really important to be at your optimum health before falling pregnant. You know, a lot of women won't fall pregnant un- until they reach that optimum health as well. So before falling pregnant, you want to have a really good balance of exercise, mobility, healthy eating. So looking after yourself and like for some women, it does help. I know before having both my children, I touched base with a naturopath just to check, you know, your levels of vitamins, minerals, irons, nutrition, any supplements and, and that side of things. I do think that that can be beneficial as well. Exercise wise, you don't want to be over exercising. Like obviously there is a risk of over-exercising and those women won't fall pregnant due to upsets with their menstrual cycle. So, But that's quite a high level of training. So that's more your endurance athletes and that's a symptom called RED syndrome where they're just their energy output is too high for their energy intake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes the endurance athletes have to scale back a little bit before falling pregnant. But for majority of the population, just that general exercise, you want to be getting some form of moderate to high intensity exercise throughout the week. And for most women, if you and most people, if you can just get in half an hour of exercise a day, that's great. That's something. And you know, that all doesn't have to be high intensity exercise, just going for a walk, doing some yoga and Pilates. It's all movement and it all helps. And I, and I do believe that diet is a big factor as well. So before falling pregnant, you really want to make sure that you're eating good foods, getting that adequate intake of iron into your body, protein, and obviously smoking and alcohol, trying to get those out of your diet too. But, yeah, the, the prenatal health, if you've got those routines and those things flowing before you fall pregnant, it makes it easier for you to continue with that when you're pregnant. So if you're already exercising, you're already eating well, then when you fall pregnant, it makes it does make it easier to continue with that throughout the pregnancy. I do know for some women and, and like myself included, when when you initially fall pregnant, often in those early stages, you're so sick that you just cannot eat well and you cannot exercise. And that was quite a concern for me because I was someone who was eating very healthy and was exercising really regularly. And then all of a sudden I couldn't run, I couldn't eat salads. I was just so unwell. And I was quite concerned that I wasn't getting enough nutrients to the baby, but I did supplement. So it does, you know, those circumstances you do, you know, often you will need to take a supplement. But as it was explained to me, the baby will always take the nutrients first before you get them. So it's not like the baby's going to miss out. It's just you you have to sacrifice for a while. Yeah, and it comes down to, you know, you may not be able to go for a run anymore or, or, or swim laps or go to the gym, but if you can just get a walk and some stretching in or just some stretching on the floor, that might be it for the day. That's all you can manage. And and really don't beat yourself up over that because it's just it's just a phase and you you can only do what your body can manage. You're better to to listen to your body and respect your body as opposed to trying to push through that fatigue and that and that illness. It's just not not worth it. 
that uh, self-sacrificial status of mother and embryo <laughs> is a nice segue into my next question, which yeah. was um, I guess you must identify some barriers to women being able to look after themselves in that sense and being able to seek the help that they need to be able to to be able to maintain optimal perinatal health. Do you have any suggestions of what the community can do to support mums to number one, be able to acknowledge that it's important to put themselves first and number two, actually be able to access that care that they require? I think a big thing, that comment you made there of of mums being able to put themselves first is definitely a a big barrier. Every mum puts themselves last, (laughs) I I think. And I think there's this real guilt factor for women where they feel even if they're stealing that little bit of time for themselves, they feel guilty and that I should be doing the washing or I, you know, I I should be there's always something else that they should be doing. So that's a big thing. I really do think women need to be able to identify that it is okay to take some time for themselves, even if it's 15 to 30 minutes, and whether that be that time to go for a walk, you know, catch up with friends, grab a coffee, go for a walk or sneak in a little yoga class or Pilates class here and there. I just think, yeah, as a whole I think women across the board just need to realise that that's okay, that they can take that time. I think at a community level, that's just more about talking with your mums and then just, you know, and accepting and talking and saying, you know, that's okay. Like, you know, don't feel selfish about taking some time for yourself and encourage your friends to get together and do something with you and, and say, you know, it's okay to ask on someone else and call on someone else to take the kids for half an hour or or an hour while you're still in that little bit of time. It's funny, isn't it, as well, that we're literally making a baby in our body and still can't kind of give ourselves that concession to actually take the time to address our overall health, which is for the the child. (laughs) It's actually for the child. It's not necessarily for us. It's so interesting. Yeah, it is. It is. And I think a lot of women probably don't realise how important their health is to looking after babies and looking after kids as well. And that's just not at a parent level as well. I see that at a carer level at end stage of life as well. If the carer isn't healthy and the carer isn't looking after themselves, they're no longer able to look after the person they're looking after. And it's exactly the same for a mum and a baby. I think, you know, sometimes as mums, we can cope with a lot and we can run on very, very little sleep and function. But there is a point to that where it is detrimental to your health as well. Like we can do it, definitely, but you can do it better if you're healthier. Yeah. And if you're taking that little bit of time to rest, recover, recoup. And you are, like, I think every mum knows they're a better mum if they've stepped away for a little bit. If you have that little bit of time to step away, reset, you come back a lot fresher, a lot happier, and you can tolerate and cope with a lot more. Yeah. So for some some of the women who are trying to sidestep that burnt chop syndrome, so to speak, what are some of the classes that they can access through solitude in uh, or prenatally and postnatally? So the different classes we run, we run Pilates classes, which is a uh, Pilates mat class and Pilates reformer classes. So I have got a few mums, pregnant mums, that come along to those classes. 
So they're not, the Pilates class aren't specific pregnancy classes, but I adjust them for the pregnant women. So the abdominal exercises, I'll just have them doing alternate exercises during those. We also run hydrotherapy classes, which they're fine for pregnancy as well. And then I run a bumps and babes class, which is for during pregnancy and and post-pregnancy as well. So I'll have that classes combined. So I've got both the pregnant women and the postnatal women in that class as well, which is quite nice because the women do chat a lot and the new pregnant mums, you know, they've got some mums there as well. They can ask questions and talk to. Our lifelong connections have probably been made out of those classes too. Yeah, yeah. And it is quite nice because I look back like, cool, I've been running them since my girls were babies. So I've been running them for eight years. So it's really nice now because I look at the, some of the kids that the girls are at school with and, yeah, they were the little babies that used to do the mums and bubs classes with my girls when they were babies. And, yeah, it is it is quite cute. And, yeah, you've seen those kids grow the whole way through and those mums that, yeah, that I'm still in, in touch with and, yeah, see that whole lifespan, which is nice. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your holiday to come on. I was just wondering, is there one piece of information that you could leave women with that you feel would inspire or provoke some interesting thinking about how to put themselves first? I think in terms of putting yourself first and finding motivation to get moving and be active, I think probably the biggest thing you need to do is find something that you love and also surround yourself with people that you enjoy being around because once you have that combination of something you enjoy and a good network of people you you won't be making excuses anymore you'll be allocating that time and you'll be prioritizing that time to get out and do that thing that you enjoy it's not you don't want exercise to be a chore you want exercise to be something that you really love that you really enjoy and that you're looking forward to doing. And I think by having something you love with a good group of people, you'll be able to allocate that time to yourself and prioritise that time. But I also think that point that we touched on with how important your health is in terms of looking after everyone else, that gives you a, a very good reason to allocate some time for yourself, put yourself first, and take that time out to look after your health. Hannah, tell me about yourself. Thanks so much for having me. So I'm I'm local to Nambaka. So I am a fertility coach, a mental health and fertility coach, and I have a wonderful husband and two beautiful brothers. And yeah, I work with women to help them better understand their fertility and their menstrual cycles so that they can either achieve pregnancy when the time's right for them or avoid pregnancy without having to use any hormonal birth control or medical devices. So incredibly passionate about all things women's health and fertility. Yeah, located in the beautiful Nambucca Valley. And how long have you been in the area? So my husband and I moved to Nambucca in about 2014. We bought a house um, way back when, way back when the, the highway was the old highway <laughs> and used to travel up to and from to work to Cross Harbour. And, yeah, we really settled in and, and called the place home ever since. So about seven or eight years now. What's your favourite thing about living in the Nambucca Valley? Uh, the beach for sure. 
how lucky are we to be, you know, situated five minutes from the beach and 10 minutes from the farms and, you know, not so far from the beautiful rainforest in Dorigo. So um, I just feel like we're, yeah, in the, the most perfect spot along the, along the East Coast. So tell me about the Body Blueprint, how long you've had business, what yep. you do, what a typical day looks like for you and what services yep. you offer. Awesome. Um, yeah, so the Body Blueprint come about about a year and a half ago. I write resumes as well on the side actually for a, for a woman, Sally Watson, who was a local to the area as well. And she actually was doing some business coaching with me one day and said, what is it that people come to you for? Like what lights you up? And that's when I um, I had the, the, I guess the light bulb went off that for me it was fertility. And that sort of stemmed from myself having a four-year journey with infertility. So it took us about four years to conceive our first baby, Nash. And we, you know, went into it thinking that everything would would go to plan you know I've got a a large family everybody gets pregnant at the drop of a hat and then when it wasn't happening for us um, I started to research and I started to realize that hang on there was a massive amount of gaps in my knowledge when it came to my own body literacy and I guess how fertile I actually was and then I just went on this massive big journey to learning all about that and I soon discovered that there actually were lots of hormonal issues going on and I really worked to, to change that but along that journey, I realized that it's not just myself that had those gaps in my learning. And I really wanted to try and help women to to really sidestep any fertility challenges and, and improve their time to pregnancy. Um, so that's where it sort of began. And so I became accredited as a fertility awareness educator. So on top of teaching women about their cycles and how to understand if they've got healthy cycles and how to conceive quickly, I also teach women a method to avoid pregnancy without any hormonal birth control or medical devices, and it has up to a 98% effectiveness rate. So on par with things like the pill and IUDs and those sorts of things, but it's all about stripping it back and really learning about your body and understanding where and when you're fertile and all those sorts of things within your cycle. Yeah, so I, I decided about a year and a half ago I'd get accredited. I did that and I've since done another um, accreditation with Dr. Kerry Hampton as well. So I'm really moving into that space, helping women to conceive. And, yeah, that's how the Body Blueprint came about. And I work with women um, one-on-one. I also do group coaching four times a year. So I take a group of women through my program and depends on whether they want to achieve or avoid pregnancy, they both join the same program. And I've also just launched a really exciting self-paced program as well. So we talked about before we jumped on I'm actually in I'm six weeks postpartum myself uh, with my second baby so I've created that program so that I can still support women while I'm on my maternity leave as well. So when you are talking about fertility with women talking about infertility with women what kind of themes and patterns are you seeing that that come up in conversation that you'd really like to address through the services? Yeah that's a really good question. A really big issue that we have in society is, I guess, with technology and how important and how you know incredible technology can be, I feel like that's taking away from a woman's ability to actually understand her own body. So I like to say we were born with everything that there is that we need, I should say, to control our own reproductive function. It's just that nobody's taught us that yet. So I often see with women the first and the biggest issue is that a lot of women don't actually know when they're fertile within their cycle. So then what they start doing is buying different sorts of devices and things to help them tell them when they're fertile. And that just creates a whole other issue because we've got then devices trying to predict when someone's fertile and that's been shown to be not very effective. So really, I think the crux of the issue is that 
as women, we just don't understand our own bodies like we should or like we could. So, you know, really teaching women to understand that is is really the basis of what I do. There's one study that I often refer to where women that were at an IVF clinic were assessed to see how well they knew or understood their fertility. And only 12.7% of the women in the study were actually able to identify where they were fertile. So these women had been trying to get pregnant for 12 months or longer, had made it all the way to IVF, and only 12.7% of them could actually identify it. And that's not a fault of theirs. That's just a fault of sort of where we are in society, I guess, (laughs) with that lack of body literacy, unfortunately. So what do you think needs to change to address that? I'd love to see women supported to understand their cycles properly at a really young age, you know, like talking about menstrual cycles and periods at a younger age and then moving into better education. You know, when we're in high school and we do our sex education classes, sexual education and menstrual health are separate things, but I really don't feel like uh, women are given the opportunity to even learn about it at that young age. I know that I knew nothing about it and I sort of left school thinking that, if I had sex, I'd get pregnant. And in the reality is there's only about five days in the menstrual cycle where a woman can actually fall pregnant. So even just really simple things like that, a woman understanding that, it would maybe plant the seed to want to learn more. Okay, well, if there's only five days I can get pregnant, where are those five days? So I think that we deserve to have better education as the, as the first, first point really. So where would you recommend that parents of adolescent girls for instance who are just kind of coming into puberty where would you recommend that they start in terms of providing that education knowing that it may not necessarily be being covered in the education system yeah there's lots of different providers that are coming out now with really great programs I myself I'm really passionate about empowering young women to to know their bodies and understand their fertility and that's a space that I do want to get into in the in the um, near future I do look, I'm going to look at running some um, one-on-one classes or group coaching classes, I should say, with the girls within the Valley and, and with the Coast Coast. But there are actually some other really great resources. I'm just trying to think of one on Instagram. I can give you the link for it if you want to pop in the show notes. But um, there's a lady called Melina on the North Coast of New South Wales who specialises just in young girls and getting helping them understand their cycles. She's just changed her business name. That's why it's not coming to me. But yeah, there's some really great providers online that have some really great resources. There's another one called Bright Girl Health. That's a a lady that goes into schools and helps young ladies to understand their cycles and and, um, delivers really great education. But it unfortunately is something where you need to look outside the school system because it's just, it is a complex topic, but it's not one that they have the resources, I guess, or the experienced um, educators to deliver. Yeah, so I can yeah I can give you some links to some really great resources, but I'm also going to work in that space as well. That's really exciting possibility for the area. I don't I don't believe that really there's been anything similarly done before, to my yeah. knowledge, in high schools or in that the youth space. That would be fantastic. So knowing that you'd like to work with younger women in the future, tell me about some of the women that you're working with now and some of the common conversations that you you are having on a daily basis. Yeah, sure. So currently I'm working with a really nice mix of women that are either trying to get pregnant or trying to avoid pregnancy. And that's a, it's such a long, like it's such a broad, I guess, cohort of women. But the ideal scenario is where a woman decides, look, I'm going to get pregnant or I'd like to get pregnant and that they start sort of working on that 
with it being down the down the track, not wanting to do it immediately, because we need to really make sure that we're well supplemented and well prepared for pregnancy before we actually start trying to conceive. And that that's definitely something that's not happening as a norm. So I I get some women that come to me that do have that sort of forward thought in in mind and they think, okay, I would love to get pregnant next year. So I've just had a couple of clients actually sign up to my self-paced program who are looking to get pregnant next year. And so they they understand that they need to invest in that time and that education now. Um, I get lots of women that come to me that have been trying for 12 months, two years, three years. So there's like a lots of different scenarios there. And then I've got a lot of women as well that really want to learn how to avoid pregnancy without having to take the pill or having to take IUDs or or all those different devices. Yeah, so it's a really broad spectrum. But one of the amazing things about learning fertility awareness, on top of the fact that you can learn to understand when you're fertile and when you're not and achieve or avoid pregnancy, is when you start to learn how to read your charts, which we put all of your information and your data onto, you can actually start to use those as a bit of a diagnostic tool. So a lot of women will come to me and say, something doesn't feel right, I haven't been able to conceive and I've been trying for 12 months or longer or whatever their time frame is. And when we start to build that, that data on their charts, we actually start to see, well, that client might have a hormonal imbalance or there might be something going on in their cycle, which we can see really clearly on the charts. Um, and then they're able to go and use that information and really advocate for themselves with their medical professionals and have a really good understanding of what's actually going on. That's the real power of learning fertility awareness on top of all of the other great stuff as well, obviously. Mm. Can we talk some more about women who are coming to you looking for alternatives to, you know, typically use contraception, your your pill, your IUDs? So what kind of symptoms are you seeing from women who are transitioning out of those hormonal uh, contraceptives into wanting to uh, look into natural family planning? What do you think, what do you feel are the motivations in that space? Do you feel that it's a side effects? Do you feel that it's just a shift into more awareness around natural family planning due to social media? What, what do you feel is the kind of motivating factor there? Yeah, I think it's a combination of both. I get a lot of women that come to me and they've got really horrible side effects. The good thing is that a lot of the women that come to me usually recognise that that's not normal. So unfortunately, we're sort of led to believe that, first of all, that you know period pains are is normal and that women just get really horrible periods once a month and they need to deal with it. That's one thing I'd like to see changed in society because that's not true. While, you know, painful periods are really common, they're not normal. And the same goes for contraceptives. So, you know, a lot of women will come to me and say, I've got no, like I've got zero libido or I'm having horrible mood swings or headaches and all of these things are going on. And then they stop the pill just as sort of a precautionary thing, like to see if it's that. And all of a sudden they notice that the symptoms start to improve. So then they generally will start to look for other options and hopefully they come across a wonderful group of fertility awareness educators that are here waiting to help. But, yeah, a lot of the time it definitely is side effects driven. But, yeah, I feel like fertility awareness and natural family planning are definitely becoming more mainstream in a way, which is really nice to see. I know that when I started practising it sort of eight years ago or so, I struggled because it was really it's a quite a complex sort of thing to learn at first but once you learn it it's like second nature but I really wanted to get an educator and I could not find one on the coast coast let alone in Australia at the time but they're popping up now which is really great so there's lots of us there that can support women at all different stages of their journey which is really good. I guess we're also talking about the psychological impacts of being on hormonal contraceptives too and just Big time, yeah 
Yeah, it's pervasive, isn't it, too, across, you know, that psychological well-being. It can affect relationships, libido. It affects... Absolutely. I did a post recently. The hormonal birth control has shown to actually change so many ways, changes women in a lot of ways, but it can actually impact the way that you choose a partner. So even things like I, I get really deep in my thoughts about different things like this, but you think about the average woman in Australia and probably around the world goes to their doctor at 16 or so, the doctor puts them on the pill. That then changes the way that they actually choose a partner. They then go through that natural progression and choosing a partner and getting married and all of those sorts of things and they come off the pill. And then there's these issues where they're actually not attracted to their partners anymore. And there's all of these incredible studies that are actually showing that now. There's even studies that show that women on birth control, they did one really interesting study where they went into, I think it was like a strip club, and they did a study on women that were on birth control and women that were cycling naturally. And the women that were cycling naturally actually received more tips than the women that weren't because it changes it changes the way we behave, the way, you know, the things that we, the way we smell, the, um, you know, the way we um, are attracted to people. Like it really does do a lot to our, to our, um, to our body and, and psychologically as well. It does a lot there to our mental health too. So yeah, there's a whole other side of it that's just so incredible to get into and, and you can really go down some, some rabbit holes with it. <laughs> So interesting. And um, I'm thinking about, you know, 16-year-olds going to the GP mm. and on the pill is sort of an automatic, you know, progress or coming yeah. of age kind of deal. I'm thinking yeah. about women who are just entering the postpartum period. They've just had a baby. They go to their six-week checkup and their doctor's recommending straight away a hormonal mm-hmm. contraceptive or an IUD. And, yeah. um, and just being in that really vulnerable space postnatally mm-hmm. and not having the access necessarily to the information that they need to make an informed decision. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, yep. such a gap in, in knowledge and advice there. And, yeah, it'd be great to kind yeah. of to link those women in with fertility educators like yourself at that time. Yeah. Just, yeah, they can feel empowered to make that informed decision. Exactly. And even if they didn't choose to do fertility awareness, they might still choose to take a hormonal birth control. But just to be in a space that's a lot more nurturing at that time yep. would just make the world a difference. I'm at that, I'm at six weeks postpartum right now. And I can tell you if I was to have to go into a doctor's surgery and make a choice and not actually know what my options were, I would of course just go, look, yep, whatever you say. But um, thankfully, I had that knowledge prior to going into that in both postnatal periods. And I'm on my I'm at my second child now, so things are a lot different. But first baby, had I not had that knowledge and went into a doctor's surgery, there'd be no way I'd make any other decision. I'd just you know jump on that. And we're in such we're so vulnerable in that postnatal postpartum period. It's definitely a, yeah, we could do better, so much better for men at all stages, but especially there. Yeah, and I, I'm thinking about my own experiences having my children too. Having had three children, I, I actually felt at that time pressured into yeah, yeah going on to hormonal contraceptive, even if I wasn't yeah. particularly ready or informed. So that's yeah, absolutely it's yeah, really interesting yeah. space to provide some education around a whole um a whole part that I do with my clients, regardless of what course they take with me. We do a whole section on postnatal charting and postnatal hormones. And really understanding what happens to us in that in that part of, of our life, which is super important. And unfortunately, I don't know what the statistic would be, but very, very low amounts of, of women would actually understand that and those hormonal shifts that are going on and what's actually 
happening postpartum and when we should expect our fertility to resume and all that sort of stuff. So I like to try and get in and teach women that before they actually have bubbles so that they can come out the other side and understand what's going on a lot better. Mm. And knowing also that fertility is a shared responsibility, what mm. can partners do to support women to engage in this process of learning and and adapting choices and behaviours and what, what can yeah. partners do to support that person it's a, it's a it's a it's a bit of a tricky one sometimes because it does depend i guess on i guess the, the the partner's sort of perceptions and views and their understanding of it but the biggest thing that i love seeing and i've seen this a few times in in my practice is when women can bring their husbands or partners along to some of the education just to get them to understand how it works because it can be a little bit challenging like oh you know, especially if they're not wanting to have children, it can be really a, a bit of a challenge for them to get their head around, well, you know, I don't want to get you pregnant and but all that sort of stuff. So I love when I see partners come to some of the sessions, not all of them, they don't have to come to all of them, but at least the, sec- the session on, you know, how to avoid pregnancy is really, is really cool. Um, also just having open conversations about it. Like I talk to my, my now husband about it all the time. There was one point back when I was trying to get pregnant he could he could he knew what cycle day I was on like because we talked about it so openly and yeah it it just the more you sort of have that open communication about it the more they get on board with it and can really start to understand it I don't think I've had many clients where partners have been sort of against it or not really gone you know had that support which has been really nice but that definitely does happen but yeah communication is key that's for sure Mm, it must be really satisfying too when you see the penny drop and women mm. go, oh, I get it. <laughs> I get oh, it. yeah. Mm. I always say there's always two stages to learning with me. There's the first stage is like people are just in awe. They're like, These, our bodies are incredible. Like, you know, when you really start to understand how it works cyclically and with all of our hormones and, and how everything's unfolding each month. But then there's like a stage two where women usually will get quite cranky that they haven't learnt this you know so it's usually like stage one is this is amazing we are amazing stage two is well that f <laughs> haven't we been taught you know this about our bodies rightly so i do love seeing that penny drop though <laughs> so if you could give one piece of advice to women who are considering going on this journey what would that piece of advice be my biggest bit of advice would be we truly were born with everything that we need to control our reproductive function we don't you know, you don't have to put all of your power in the hands of doctors and medical devices and pharmaceuticals if you don't want to, because you don't need to. Knowledge is power. Honestly, it is. And a big thing as well is, you know, we invest so much time in, you know, if we're unsure about our finances, we'll go get a financial advisor. If we're buying a house, we'll get a real estate agent. We, we invest our money into lots of these big areas in our life, you know, wedding planners and different things like that. But when it comes to fertility, quite often, there's not that same commitment. So for me, it's like you really need to invest in yourself, whether you're trying to achieve pregnancy or avoid pregnancy. There's no point half-assing it because, you know, you can throw mud at a wall and hope that it sticks or you can really invest in yourself and do things properly and, and have a better outcome. So, yeah, my yeah, biggest thing would be yeah, trust your gut, understand that you have everything that you need and, you know, invest in yourself is, is a big one. Mm, great advice. If people want to find you, where can they contact you? Yeah, sure. Um, my my best contact is always Instagram. So my handle is at the body blueprint. There's no E in blue, <laughs> just to make things confusing, but at the body blueprint underscore. I also have a website, www.thebodyblueprint.com.au. Um, and I'm on Facebook too, but not as active on Facebook. <laughs> 
Well, thanks so much for sharing your wisdom and your experience today, Hannah. Thanks so much for having me. I loved it.